Ganga Arjuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tosi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakti Vrinda Ki All glories to the Assembly. All glories to the Assembly. All glories to the Assembly. All glories to Sri Guru and Dharma. All glories to Krishna <laughs> Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sadhana Havita Shri Shaka Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya November 16, 2010, Vrindavan, reading from Bhagavad Gita 8.16. Abrahma Bhuvana Loka, Punar Varti Marjana, Mamu Pecha Tukamteya, Punar Janma Nagidjate. Mom, unto me, Rupesha, 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 R
Vaitya arriving too, but Kauntaya, O son of Kunti, Punaha Janma, rebirth, no, never, Vidyate takes place. Translation and purport by Shilpanapad. From the highest planet in the material world down to the lowest, all are places of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place. But one who attains to my abode, O son of Kunti, never takes birth again. Purport. All kinds of yogis, karma, jnana, hatha, etc., eventually have to attain devotional perfection in bhakti yoga or Krishna consciousness before they can go to Krishna's transcendental abode and never return. So for the other yogis, what do they have to do to attain ultimate perfection? They have to add bhakti. They have to come to Krishna consciousness. Those who attain the highest material planets, the planets of the demigods, are again subjected to repeated birth and death. As persons on earth are elevated to higher planets, people on higher planets such as Brahmaloka, Chandraloka, and Induloka fall down to earth. So this reminds us of what? In an amusement park, there's something that this reminds us of. The, the, the merry-go-round of the Ferris wheel. It's going up and down. Have you ever seen Sometimes people keep a little animal in a cage, very small cage, and the animal needs exercise. Like here we see the little squirrels, they're always running and jumping. And if someone puts a little squirrel in a cage, very small cage, what do they have to do to give them exercise? They give them, the, they give them the, that, that, that wheel around. A wheel. Have you seen this? Anybody seen this wheel? Yeah. yeah, so inside the cage, there's a wheel. And the animal's running on the wheel. They're just running, 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 running. And the wheel, and sometimes when the animal's running, what happens if you ever watch them? They sometimes go all the way around. Go all the way around. <laughs> right? So the animal thinks, I'm getting someplace. I mean, I don't know what the animal thinks, actually. <laughs> Gets a thrill out of going all the way around. Gets some thrill out of it. So to the animal, they're running, 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 but they're not really going anywhere. Prabhupada would like to quote the famous Indian poet Ravindranath Tagore who came to England to receive the Nobel Prize in literature as a poet. And he said, when I come to London I see that everyone is going very fast, but it's such a small country if they keep going so fast they'll only go into the ocean. And where are they going? Where else can they go? So here again, Prabhupada saying this is happening on a universal scale. People are going up to the higher planets, then down to the lower, down to earth planet again. The practice of sacrifice, called Panchangi Vidya, recommended in the Chandogya Upanishad, enables one to achieve Brahmaloka. <coughs> but if on Brahmaloka one does not cultivate Krishna consciousness, then he must return to earth. So that's an interesting statement because sometimes we read that Brahma is always liberated. But here Srila Prabhupada is clearly saying that if on Brahma Loka you do not develop 
What? Krishna consciousness. Hmm. Those who now Prabhupada also says something very interesting here. There's, there's a number of points in this purport that are quite interesting. Those who progress in Krishna consciousness on the higher planets are gradually elevated to higher and higher planets and at the time of universal devastation are transferred to the eternal spiritual kingdom. So sometimes we also hear devotees preach that you can only go back to Godhead from the earth planet. I've heard some people say this. So if ever anyone says this, you can understand that in this purport, Prabhupada very clearly says that you can go back to the spiritual world also from the higher planets. And here he's saying about a very step-by-step program. You're, you're cultivating your Krishna consciousness. You gradually go to a higher planet, then a higher planet, then a higher planet. And finally, at the end, you go to Vaikuntha. Baladev Vidyabhushana, in his commentary on Bhagavad Gita, quotes this verse, Brahmana samate sarve samprakte pravisanchare parasyante kritatmanam pravishyante paramparam. When there is devastation of this material universe, Brahma and his devotees, who are constantly engaged in Krishna consciousness, are all transferred to the spiritual universe, and to specific spiritual planets according to their desires. So here he's saying that generally, Brahma and the other residents, if they're in Krishna consciousness, they go to the spiritual world. Not just the spiritual world, Prabhupada's saying here they go to the planet where they desire. But if they're not in Krishna consciousness, then again, they're going to come death. So the operating principle here is Krishna consciousness. That just changing your material position alone is not going to solve the problem. From the highest planet in the material world down to the lowest, all are places of misery where repeated birth and death take place. But one who is attained to my abode of son of Kunti never takes birth. Places of misery. I mean, people here are anxious to go to America, thinking that in America, there's no misery. I mean, it's a fact that in America, life is much more materially comfortable than in India. It's a fact. You know, it's just have hot water coming out of the faucet. You have water coming out of the faucet. You have electricity when you flick the switch and there's no sewage in the street and you're not so likely to get run over by a car or whatever. <laughs> Materially, it's more comfortable. And then just imagine this is a lower middle planet, so then you can go higher. Prabhupada says on the planets of the thousands of times more sense gratification. And higher, higher, higher. How can there be any misery? But Krishna says, no, there's still misery. So on Gopastami, we were at Care for Cows. He sat next to one woman who's trying to practice Krishna consciousness. And she said, I'm really having a lot of struggle with my faith. So why is that? She said, well... A year ago, my son died, and then she, she started crying. How old was he? He was 28. 
he died in a, on a boat. He was working on a boat, and there was some accident, and he drowned. She said he was so young and so full of life. Why did God have to take him? And it was really painful. Although he died a year ago, it was extremely painful for him. So this birth and death, it's very unnatural for us. It gives us a lot of pain. And therefore, even if we're in the most wonderful place, even, I mean, we can't imagine, really, the opulence of Ramaloka. In fact, Narada Muni says that to King Yudhisthira. Maharaj Yudhisthira, after performing the Rajasthira Jagya, they had this magical place constructed by Maya Dhanava. That was their bargain. When Krishna Arjuna saved Maya Dhanava from the forest, from the Kandava, burning forest, Maya Dhanava agreed to construct this assembly house, magical assembly house from Maharaj Yudhisthira, where sometimes you couldn't tell what was land, what was water, what was a door. And Marjusta was a little, uh, justifiably, pleased with this building. And he said to Narada, have you ever seen any other place as nice as this anywhere in the universe? And Narada said, well, well actually. And he starts describing Lord Brahma's assembly house. And he says, you can't tell the dimensions. You know, here we have three-dimensional space. So Krishna doesn't exist in three-dimensional space. Did you know that? As that verse, Ekopi Sovrachayatam Jagadantakoti Yachakthirasti Jagadantayayananta Andantarasta Paramanam Chayantarastam. So that Krishna is inside every atom. You can picture that, right? Krishna, little Krishna inside every atom. Can you get that picture? Okay. And then inside every Krishna, there's the universe. universe. Can you get that? Inside every Krishna, there's a universe full of atoms, and inside every atom, there's Krishna, and inside every Krishna, there's the universe. So for Krishna, he doesn't really exist in three-dimensional space. In fact, space is one of the it's one of the first elements of material nature that's created. Come, space. We don't even think about space. We we understand space by its boundaries. Or when Brahma went to see Krishna in Dwarka, right? Who's there? Brahma. Oh, okay. Comes back. Doorkeeper comes back. Um, which Brahma? What do you mean? Which Brahma? I'm Brahma. <laughs> which Brahma? I'm Brahma. The father of the four Kumaras. Oh, okay. Come in. There's so many Brahmas. But it was explained that each Lord Brahma thought... Krishna's in my universe. They each thought Krishna's in my universe. Now, how does Krishna do that? So he doesn't exist in three-dimensional space. Just like he showed Arjuna all space in one place, or he saw Mother Yasoda, the whole universe, within his valley. And on the higher planet, space does not exist the way it exists here, on this planet. Our modern scientists try to have some idea of basic universal laws. But how do they know that mathematics operates the same way on Mars as it does on Earth? I mean, when they're guessing the distances of the planets, they're assuming that the laws, first of all, they're assuming that they understand the laws of physics and mathematics and chemistry thoroughly on this planet. 
which is absurd because they're constantly changing their own theories. But even if they did perfectly understand it, would it apply the same everywhere in the universe? Well, Einstein says it doesn't. And Shastra also says it doesn't. On the higher planets, space and time are very... Space also, not only time, but space are very different. So Narda said in Brahma's assembly house, the dimensions are constantly shifting. You can't tell what the... You can't measure it. You can't get out a meter stick and say, okay, this is how long and how wide it is. You can't even talk about it in three-dimensional space. And you can't even describe, he said, I can't describe the opulences, even if I were to go on for dozens and dozens of years. And this is just one building on the planet of Lord Brahma. I mean, again, if we think about the difference between some, you know, trash, sewage-filled street in Delhi and the residence of a wealthy person in India or the residence of you know, some wealthy person in Europe and America, and then multiply it, multiply it, multiply it, multiply it. How opulent it is. But still, it's full of this death. Still there's death. So therefore there's misery. I mean, in Brahma's planet, there's not much of what we consider misery. There's no beggars. There's no malaria. There's no gray hair, even on the planets of the lower demigods. Those things don't exist. When you speak of Brahma's planets, Brahma's planet, their bodies are very, very subtle. You know, our bodies are very heavy. Just to carry our bodies up ten flights of stairs is a big problem for us. It's a heavy. It's like a big rock we're carrying around with us. They're very light bodies, very subtle bodies, and our bodies are so fragile, you know, you just slip a little and you break something. So, they don't have the kind of miseries, nor do they have, you know, mental illness, no one there is taking Prozac, and nobody's coughing there. And then they don't have to worry about cold, from our perspective, there's no misery, but still there's misery. Still there's misery. There's death. They're specifically saying there's death. Such an unnatural thing, like this woman who was so upset about her son dying. We can see that death is unnatural. If we were material beings, why would we be disturbed by death? I mean, if you take a little bit of this table, you cut off a little piece of the table, and you make some other little carving, and then you break it, does the table cry? Oh, my son has died. Matter has no conception of death. You know, according to modern scientists, we're just matter. But death is, is very foreign to us. We're eternal beings. We come from a place where there's eternal relationships, where our relationships are not broken by arguments or by death. And even in Brahma's planet, there's still death. Therefore, there's still misery. As long as there's death, as long as things are temporary, they're miserable. 
In fact, the nicer the enjoyment you have, the more you suffer when it's over, isn't it? If you have some shoes that don't fit you well and you don't like, and the monkeys eat them, it doesn't matter. But if you have some really nice shoes, you went all the way to Delhi to buy them, or you had them shipped from, you know, Germany, and they were 50 euros, and they fit you perfectly, and then, and then some monkey chews them. I, a friend from Rajasthan, she told me that her mother and father were very attached to each other. And when her father died in a car accident, her mother got into bed and never got out of bed for a year and finally just died. Or if you don't like your husband, if he dies, well, that's kind of nice, you know. Like the Nagapatnis, you know that story? The Nagapatnis, they didn't like Kalia very much. Did you want to be married to Kalia? <laughs> we talk about nasty husbands, you know. And he was really a nasty guy, poisonous. They didn't like him very much. And when Krishna was dancing on his hands, they were thinking, oh, good. <laughs> now we can finally get rid of this demon husband and we can just live as widows in Vrindavan. That's what they were thinking. And as Krishna was dancing on his hands, and it gradually he started to become purified. And he started to become a Vaishnava, and then they thought, oh, well, now that he's a Vaishnava, we would like to be with him. So they came to Krishna and they prayed. So the nicer your material enjoyment is, the more it's painful to lose it. You know, if you just have some little hut on the side of the road with a cardboard roof, what does it matter if you lose your house? But if you have, you know, a house in Brahmaloka, death is even more painful. And you get to stay there for, we're going to read next verses, how long Brahma lives. I mean, even us, we know we'll be lucky if we live to be 80 or 90. And still we get so attached to our houses and our... Prabhupada once saw some bird stool, same place every day on the morning walk. And he asked the devotees, what does this mean? They couldn't answer. He said, even the birds, they're attached to the particular branch, my branch mind place on the grid. So we get some little flat, some little home, and we know we're going to live there, what, maximum 40, 50 years, but we're so attached. <coughs> Imagine if you knew you were going to live there for three trillion years. Let's imagine. Like, I, I travel all the time, but if I know I'm going to stay in a place for a month, then I start taking out some things, you know. I have little laminated pictures. I put them up with blue tack. I'll start arranging things. I think, oh, I'm going to be here for three weeks. I can settle in a little bit. But imagine, you're going to stay for three trillion years. How attached you would be. And then, gone. So therefore, also suffering. Also suffering. Of course, why is there death? Anybody have any idea why there's death? I mean, is Krishna just like me? The nature of this universe. Everything is temporary. But why? Because that's what he made it. Okay, yeah. Well, was there a reason? Because he doesn't want you to accept it. Hmm. He wants you to accept nothing here. He wants you to accept nothing here. Okay. When the body gets old, it's more visible. It's just the kind of people that the body has but, 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 but why do you do that? Why doesn't he just give us an eternal body here? An eternal material body? Because we have to have some sign that 
this is not going to last forever and we have to get out of this place. So if we have to get out, we have to go to somewhere else. I still don't understand why there's death. I mean, I Krishna rigged it. He could have made it so it was eternal. He purposely rigged it to make it suffering so that we'd want to get out of here. Well, he did it for, for his enjoyment. Huh? Hmm? It's for his enjoyment. The whole material world is also for his enjoyment. Yeah, because... But I still don't understand why there's death, because death is what ruins everything. The fact that everything's temporary. We're not supposed to get it. Just We all, we basically want to be the center, and I mean, if you like, if you look at any relationship, generally you have one person who's getting more out of it than the other person, and that other person is getting an opportunity in another body in another situation to try to be the center in that situation. It's, it's just, it's conflicting. We just okay, we have conflicting desires. I mean, just think right now of all the material desires you've had, except for you pure devotees here who have never had any material desires. So for the rest of us, or if you're a pure devotee, you can think about someone else who has material desires. You can think about all the material desires you've had. Are all of them possible to be fulfilled in the body that you have right now? No. No. That's why there's death. It's not that Krishna's me. It's not that just Krishna's rig things, so, you know, nah, 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 you won't be happy here. <laughs> but we want, but our desires are such that they cannot all be fulfilled in one situation. We have, we have, we have conflicting desires. We want to do something, and we also want to do something that's opposite to that. And each desire can only be fulfilled in a certain body. And not only a certain body, but a certain psychology. So therefore, we have to forget. We have to forget. If you could remember, you know, oh, my last life, I was the king of, of Sweden or something, and I'm a dog. You wouldn't be able to get into being a dog. You would just be lying on the side of the street going, oh. You, you wouldn't be able to fulfill your dog desires. You have to forget. Take on a new persona. I was reading an interview with the famous actress Julia Roberts who's, uh, who was saying how she's become a Hindu. And she said, oh, this life, I'm very famous. I'm out in the front. She says, next life, I think I want to be something quiet and supportive in the back. And we, we have this desires personality. Those of us who are very outgoing, maybe sometimes we think, oh, I wish I could just be quiet and sit in the background and not say anything. Why do I always have to push myself forward and get into trouble? And those of us that are very shy and stay in the back, we think, I wish I could be more outspoken and do something and get up in the front a little bit more, right? And one devotee was telling me this, I wish I could be more social. And I said, then you'll get another life where you can be more social. And then when you're really social, you'll think, oh, there's so much trouble. I wish I could just be the kind of person who's happy to stay by my... And it keeps on going like that. Oh, I wish I could be like this. I wish I, if I could be like this, then I would be happy. If I could be like this, then I would be happy. If I could be like this, then I would be happy. And none of those things will make us happy because none of them are us. None of them are authentic. None of them are real. And therefore, there's death. 
And therefore, even if you go up to the planet of Lord Brahma, where everything, relatively speaking, is pretty nice, we're still not satisfied. And as long as we don't have Krishna consciousness, then again, oh, I wish I could be this, I wish I could be that, I wish I could be this. And you see this generally in material life. Only if. Right? When we're little children, we're thinking, only if, if only I were seven years old. Do you remember thinking like that? I remember thinking like that when I was five. Because the school I was in went from age three to seven. The seven-year-olds, they were the top people in that school. If only I were seven. And I got to be the top of the school for one year. And the next school, I went to another school where I was the bottom. The eight-year-olds were at the bottom. And then you think, oh, if only I were 12. And you get to be 12 and you think, if only I was 16. Oh, if only I graduated from school, then I'd be happy. If only I got a job, then I'd be happy. I didn't have to listen to my parents anymore. Right? Like my granddaughter today, we were at the Wholesome Restaurant. And she said, I want a popsicle, right? And you told her, no, you have to eat healthy food first. Oh. I said, these parents, they're really a problem, huh? So we start thinking like that. When am I going to get away from my mother and father? Then I can do whatever I want. Then I'll be happy. Oh, and I find a good husband or wife. Or nowadays, they don't even try for husband and wife anymore, just a partner. When I find a nice partner, then I'll be happy. When I have a child, then I'll be happy. When I have a good job I like, then I'll be happy. When I buy my own house, then I'll be happy. When I get the right car, then I'll be happy. When my children go to the best school, then I'll be happy. Or if I move to another place, then I'll be happy. If I can move from... I always tell the story how I went to Trinidad and all the devotees in Trinidad wanted to go to New York. And I said, you know, I'm from New York. And in New York, there's signs everywhere, go vacation in the Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone said, if I go here, then I'll be happy. If I just change this, then I'll be happy. Nowadays, the the men, some of the men, they think if I become a woman, then I'll be happy. And they'll even have surgery. The women think if I become a man, then I'll be happy. So therefore, we take one body after another, after another, after another. But the problem is that even when we come to Krishna consciousness, we can think like this. We can think, if I just go here, then I'll be Krishna conscious. Same thing. And we're thinking of Krishna consciousness, my dear friends, in terms of our own happiness. Like so many people, they may come to Vrindavan thinking, if I just physically move my body to Vrindavan, then I'll be more Krishna conscious, and then I'll be happy. Prabhupada was asked in Hawaii, do you make more advancement living in the temple? He said, that depends whether his mind is on another subject matter. But like Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati said about some of the people living at Radhakund, he said, they're not living in Radhakund, they're living at Narakakund, hell. Therefore, it's not a matter of whether you're on the earth planet or Brahmaloka. It's a matter of whether or not you're in Krishna consciousness. And just read in the previous purport, Prabhupada said, the special qualification of the pure devotee is that he's always thinking of Krishna without deviation and without considering the time or place. There should be no impediments. 
He should be able to carry out his service anywhere and at any time. Some say that the devotee should remain in holy places like Vrindavana or some holy town where the Lord lived. But a pure devotee can live anywhere and create the atmosphere of Vrindavana by his devotional service. So we often think, I mean, in the early days of ISKCON especially, uh, we didn't so much follow the Shastric understanding of Kanista, Majima, and Uttama. We understood Kanista, Majima, and Uttama by geography. So if you lived in the temple building, then you were a great devotee. If you lived across the street, well, medium. And if you lived a block away, then forget it. You were what we call the fringy. Right? Remember that? So we often think like that. We think, if I just live in this particular place, if I just do this particular thing, if I associate with the particular person, then I'll be Krishna conscious, meaning then I'll be happy. That's really what we mean by that. Or then I'll be liberated. I won't suffer anymore. I'll attain the happiness I seek. And Maya's very clever at taking the same mentality of the materialist and coloring it a little bit with Krishna consciousness. Sometimes you've seen decorations on a cake all different colors. Do they taste different? No. Just different colors. They just put in some food color, so it looks like a rose and leaves. And You've all seen this on the cake? Or if you go to China, they have something called sticky rice. And they make it into all different shapes and put different spices. And you think, oh, that's halva. No, sticky rice. Oh, and they're giving me cake. No, sticky rice. Oh, it's a samosa. No, it's sticky rice. <laughs> it tastes all the same. Looks different. So Maya is very expert at convincing us, oh, this isn't about my own sense gratification anymore. It's about Krishna consciousness. But it's the same thing. As soon as we're thinking that by adjusting our external circumstances, by moving ourselves physically from one location to another, or changing our surroundings, that that's going to be the source of our happiness, material or spiritual, we're missing the whole point. We're missing the whole point. The point is Krishna consciousness. Consciousness. Krishna consciousness. It's a consciousness. It's an awareness. It's an inner state. Now, of course, if you're conscious of Krishna, you naturally like to go to places where Krishna had his pastimes, and you naturally want to associate with devotees. And if you want to become Krishna conscious, you also naturally want to do those things. But it's not that doing those things in and of themselves is going to make you Krishna conscious. Otherwise, everyone who goes to Brahma's planet would go become Krishna conscious and go back to Godhead. But they don't. They probably say. Some do. And some don't. On Brahma's planet, not only is it nice materially, you regularly see Lord Narayana there. According to the Brihad Bhagavatamrita. He and Lakshmi Devi are coming there regularly. But still, we may not be Krishna conscious. So our real solution 
is not so much to adjust our external circumstances, but as Prabhupada saying in the previous purport, to become Krishna conscious in whatever circumstance we have. Of course, we want to make some effort to adjust our circumstances. Like we clean our room. We don't just say, well, it doesn't matter whether my room is clean or dirty, I can be Krishna conscious in any circumstance. Of course, that's a fact. The devotees in the Soviet labor camp had to find ways to be Krishna conscious in a very filthy place with rats and criminals, etc. Obviously, if you can clean your room, you clean your room. If you can associate with Vaishnavas, you associate with Vaishnavas. If you can come to a holy place, you come to a holy place. <coughs> but the main effort should be changing one's consciousness. <coughs> Several years ago, when I was here in Vrindavana, I was picking up a, a CD for one devotee, which necessitated going to a room of someone in the MBT who kept all the curtains closed and was all mildewy in there. And it wasn't a very nice place to go. I had to tolerate him just saying all these nasty things. Okay, can I please get the CD Prabhu and get out of here? And he was just criticizing this person and that person. It's like, we're really going to get the CD and get out of here. And they said, where's the bliss? So I thought, here's this devotee, you know, living in Vrindavana, but he kept himself in his room and just absorbed the Vaishnava Parad. And then he said, there's no bliss anymore. I said, you know, there's lots of bliss out there. <laughs> Just get out of your room. So it depends where our consciousness is. What are we thinking about? Manmana Bhagavad Bhakta. Mama Nuswara Mujitcha. Even while you're doing your normal activities, think of me. Be conscious of me. Are we conscious of Krishna while we're chanting our japa? Are we conscious of Krishna in the kirtan? Are we conscious of Krishna while we're eating prasadam? Just hearing Prabhupada say the other day, said, in what yoga system can you make spiritual advancement by eating? He said, or by digging the earth to plant a tree. You're digging the earth to plant a tree, but you're thinking, I'm planting this tree for Krishna. So what makes it Krishna consciousness is not that you're digging the earth, but that you're thinking, I'm doing this for Krishna. I'm doing this for Krishna. I'm doing this for Krishna. Actually thinking about Krishna. Prabhupada said we have the deity worship so that all day long we can think about Krishna. Hey? Can you think right now what Krishna and Balaram look like today? They have their top knot today. How they're painted and decorated. Isn't that interesting that even though Krishna is the most beautiful he likes to be decorated? All these paintings. So think about what does Krishna look like? Or we just had Gopastami, and Gopastami, you know, that's the time when Balaram killed. Then Gasura. Then you meditate on these pastimes. I know it's becoming a little harder in Rundam to do that. Uh, when I first visited Vrindavan, you could really see Ramanveti, the sands and the Krishna Balaram tree, and now it's the honking of the horns and the. But to meditate, Krishna's walking here. Like when Uddhava visited Vrindavan, and Nandamaraj was, uh, just not really saw didn't say anything, she was just crying. 
And Nandamars was saying, you know, we, we can't function anymore because all we're doing is thinking about Krishna. And the implication, it's not in the verse, but the Acharyas say that Uddhava must have said, well, why don't you get out of your house? Like if you visit someone who's very depressed because someone died or somebody moved away and they're just in their house lamenting all the time. Someone told me about this the other day. It said that some person, after her husband left her, she never left her room. So Nandamars was like, he was just staying in his house. And naturally you say to your friends, well, why don't you get out? So Udhamamaya said, why don't you, well, why don't you get out? Nandamars, and he said, it's no use, because when I go out, I see Gauvarnadhyal, I see the Yamuna, and I remember, oh, Krishna had this pastime here, and he had this pastime there, and so it doesn't matter whether I'm in my house or out of my house, I'm always thinking about Krishna. So that should be our mentality, that I'm always thinking about Krishna. At least for the beginner, at least Krishna Chakravarti Thakur and Jiva Goswami's commentary in Bhakti Yusamita Sindhu, when Rupa Goswami is saying, always remember Krishna and never forget him, they say, for the beginner that means at least every day. At least every day. So at least there's a time in the day when, okay, now I'm going to think about Krishna. At least when I'm chanting Krishna's name, I should be hearing Krishna's name and meditating on Krishna. Prabhupada said, as soon as you chant Hare Krishna, immediately, you should remember the deity. Just like if you say the name of your brother, immediately you see the face of your brother in your mind. You remember how you went swimming with your brother, how you used to play games with your brother, how your brother took your toys and made you cry or whatever. And so soon as as soon as you say Krishna's name, immediately, he said, we may not have seen Krishna in this life, but he said, at least you can remember the deity or picture of Krishna. He said, as soon as you chant Hare Krishna, you remember how Krishna gave these instructions in the Bhagavad Gita. So at least once in a day, and we're really thinking about Krishna. What does Krishna look like? What does Krishna do? What are Krishna's qualities? And to get to the point where at every moment we're thinking about, really everything is, is meant for that. All of our sadhana, all of our activities, even our work in the world, mama nusvaram yujitya. And Krishna said, even when you're out doing your job, so Arjuna's job okay, at that time was being a soldier. But even when you're doing your job, whether you're working at the bank or whatever, you think of Krishna while you're doing your job. Krishna consciousness. And if one has Krishna consciousness, then punar janma nivijite. We won't see any more repeated birth and death. Why not? Why was there death again? Anybody remember why there's death? <coughs> Because we have desires. It's our fault that there's death, folks. Not Krishna's fault. Don't blame him. Not his fault. We want lots and lots and lots of things. And we have to be in this situation, that situation. But if I'm Krishna conscious, if I'm thinking of Krishna, you know what will happen? Yes, but even if... Even if uh, even if you don't literally go back home, even if Janmei Janmei Prabhu say keep coming here for service, there's no more births to fulfill material desires. Why not? 
Well, why are there no more material desires? Why, if I'm fully meditating on Krishna, are there no more material desires which then are propelling me to take birth and death again and again and again? That what is behind our desires is already fulfilled when we serve Krishna. Beautiful. Thank you. You said that so nicely. What's your name? Thank you, Perfect. Hmm? He said, what's behind our desires is already fulfilled when we have Krishna. What's behind our desires? So like most people would like money. Right? I mean, if somebody walked up to you now and said, here's $100,000, would you say, eh? <laughs> most of us would like that. Oh, great, $100,000. Oh, maybe I could get a little place in Rindavan and stay the rest of my life. Whatever. Why is it that most people want money? What's behind? Like you said, what's behind the desire? Money gives us what? Hmm? Something to buy. Okay, make sure that we can get food, clothing, shelter. Make friends. So food, clothing, and shelter so we can live, so we can have security. <coughs> friends, so I can have community. They also buy things that are pleasurable. I can have put some beautiful curtains in my room and attractive furniture, and I can buy some nice music CDs and a nice stereo to play them on. <coughs> right? So I can get happiness. I can get community. I can get security. Well, if I have Krishna, I feel security because I know I'm a soul. I'm never going to die. Whether my body has food or clothes or not, doesn't matter. I'm eternal. <coughs> That's my security. I can't be hurt by anything. And I have community. When I'm fully in Krishna consciousness, then I'm not just seeing Krishna, I'm seeing Krishna and Madhisoda and Nandamaraj and Radharani and Lalita and Vishaka and Balaram and the cows and the coward boys and the river Jamuna and the desire trees and my whole community. If I have money, I have power, right? Do we respect people with money, even in the Hare Krishna movement? People with money have power. But if I'm Krishna conscious, do I realize that I'm powerful? Is the soul powerful? Yes. Very powerful. Even the high mystic yogis can create and destroy a planet or even a universe. And that's material. Imagine how much power one soul has. See, Krishna's not envious. You know, if, if I was God, I'd want to keep all the power to myself. But he lets all the souls have lots of power. So I have so much power. What would I need money for? If I had full security and full community and full pleasure and full power and full everything, then what do I need the money for, right? Does that make sense? So what's behind the desires? What's behind the desire is fulfilled. <clears throat> so nicely put. What's behind the desire is really the cry of the soul. Like Prabhupada said, the need of the soul is for freedom. You know that first canto? So the need of the soul is for freedom. So a lot of my material desires, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for freedom, for security, for love, for beauty, for meaning, for autonomy, <coughs> for peace. But when I have Krishna, I have all of those. And I have all those perfectly. Materially, will I ever get them perfectly? 
Will money perfectly give me security? No. They call it that. When you invest your money, they call it securities. <coughs> right? Put your money into securities. You know that? Yes? Do you have perfect security? No. Do you get perfect community? No. Why do people want family? Again, we're thinking security, love, relationships. Do we get that perfectly in a family? No. But we get that perfectly in Krishna. Therefore, we have no more material desires. Not because we become hardened. Not because we become zero. <coughs> Not because we become repressed. But because we're satisfied. Prabhupada said it's like you eat a meal and then someone offers you some food. You say no. Then without any more material desires, there's no more birth and no more death. And then if one does take birth again, it's out of service. It's out of service. Actually, the devotee at that point doesn't even care if they take birth again. It doesn't even matter to them. <coughs> because they're completely fulfilled. The, the, the circumstances, you know, we're thinking, my circumstances are all important. What I really want to do is have the best circumstances. But when one's Krishna conscious, it doesn't matter what circumstances are anymore. If I already have everything, if I already have everything, and I know that I'm an eternal soul that can't be affected by anything external, and I already have everything internally, then what does it matter what my circumstances are? Therefore the devotee is fine. Generally, generally, Prabhupada say, I'll come birth after birth as long as I'm able to be connected with you in service. So this is the real solution to our problem. Prabhupada said we should have <coughs> enlightened self-interest. Right? Everyone is interested in themselves. That's natural, but we should be interested in our real self. What is our real self-interest? What do I really want? I really want an eternal life full of bliss and knowledge. I really want my relationship back with Krishna and work for that. We have to put a little bit of energy into cleaning our house and taking care of the external circumstances. But we should put the bulk of our energy into just being Krishna conscious in whatever circumstances we're in. If we're thinking, when I get this situation, then I'll be Krishna conscious. It's the same as the materialist thinking. When I get this situation, then I'll be happy. You think, yes, I should try for a favorable situation. A little bit of energy, maybe 10%. Bulk of energy into how can I think of Krishna now? How can I be Krishna conscious now? And that will give us everything our heart desires. <coughs> so we have a few minutes. If there's questions, comments, corrections, chastisements. <coughs> Somebody can pass that microphone. Thank you. On this, on this question of desire, when this desire is either fulfilled, which desire? Any desire, or taken away, the question now comes, like King Barat, 
he wanted to roll the planet. At first he wanted to improve on himself. When he improved upon himself into Krishna consciousness, he didn't want to, he had no desire to rule the planet. But Krishna says, no, I want you to do that. <coughs> so certain desires, when understood, when put in their proper place, are of service to Krishna. So all, not all desires, desires can become desireless and still exist in service of Krishna. Thank you. If it were external circumstances that determined your Krishna consciousness, then everyone over Ma's planet would be Krishna conscious. And what is that thing that determines our consciousness? Good question. Anybody have an answer for him? Okay. He said, what is it that does determine our consciousness if it's not our external circumstances? Our eternal love. Anybody else have some idea? What is it that determines it? Association, association, association. But that can also be external. What about the devotees who were put in prison in, in the former Soviet Union? Do you all know this story? And who here has read the book Salted Bread? Okay, so these devotees, they were very new devotees. They've been devotees maybe two years. And they were distributing Prabhupada's books. They were arrested for distributing Shiva Prabhupada's books. And they were put into prison. So now in prison, not only do you not have association with devotees, not only are you associating with materialists, you're associating with the worst of the worst of the materialists. So the people in the prison, they're murderers and rapists and robbers. They're not even nice from a material point of view. And of course, the prison cell isn't very clean, and there's no drop of beads. They have to make beads out of bread. It would take five, six days to do that. And then if the guards would catch them, they would take the beads away and beat them. Imagine if every time you started chanting Hare Krishna, somebody came and beat you and took your beads away. There was no prasadam. There was hardly any vegetarian food. They had to eat only bread with salt. They didn't get proper nutrition. Their teeth were falling out. There were no deities, there were no books, but there were no devotees, there were no deities, there were no books, there was no prasadam, there wasn't even nice material association, there wasn't any good health. But if you read this story, you find they were very Krishna conscious. Now, of course, if we have a choice, we don't go to a Soviet prison. If you have a choice, you go to a Hare Krishna temple and you hang around with other devotees of Krishna. 
But don't think that just by hanging around with other devotees of Krishna, you're automatically going to become Krishna conscious. You can hang around with other devotees of Krishna and find fault with them. It's possible. I've actually seen people do that. Has anyone else seen people do that? And who here has seen somebody who hangs around with devotees and just finds fault with them? Who has seen somebody? It's actually possible. You can do that. You can do it even in Vrindavan. You can go with a group of 200 devotees to Radhakund. And all you can be doing is criticizing everybody. It is possible. It's entirely possible. Isn't it? Right? Isn't it possible? Do people do it? All the time. Oh my, that's really a problem, isn't it? Now, it was really interesting. You know, I don't know if I want to ruin the book for you, but... So what happened in, in, the, in the story, there were these two devotees who were sent up to the Siberian labor camps. And at least until that time, some devotees were in the same prison. But at this point, the devotees were separated. They were in two different prisons. So they had absolutely no association, even indirectly, with other devotees. And one of them became very, very sick from the malnutrition and the beatings, I, I mean, we mean real beatings, not just somebody like slaps you on the face, but you know, like some iron rod and beating you on the back and breaking your back and knocking out your eyes for checking. And they were put in uh, psychiatric hospitals, they were given all kinds of psychotropic drugs that made their, made, made their bodies full of pain and their minds didn't work properly. And you can't imagine really a worse situation to try to be Krishna conscious. So one of the devotees died in the camps. And a couple years later, they met somebody on the street who had been his prison mate there in the, in the labor camp. In the, he was in the hospital, part of the labor camp. And he said, I was with your friend when he, when he died. Would you like to hear the story? So they recorded the story. And he said, you know, he'd been very sick. He hadn't been able to get out of bed. But every day he would always make sure he chanted on his, they'd make little beads out of bread, like little small beads they can hide in their hands. He said, but one day he looked like he was well. I thought, oh, now he's, he's cured. He was up and, and happy and smiling, and he asked me to, said he asked me to shave his head except leave a little piece in the back. So I shaved his head, and then he took the sheet from the hospital bed, and he put it on like, like the kind of things you guys are wearing now and then there was a magazine in the room he, he tore up the pages and put it together like a necklace and, and put that on he took some toothpaste and he said yeah, he made that mark like you guys are wearing right now and then he was just sitting in the room cross-legged chanting he said then I went out to see the doctor and when I came back he was just, just there with his eyes closed smiling and he wasn't chanting anymore and I started saying, hey, you know, come on, hey. And I said, after all, I realized he was, he was dead, he was dead. <coughs> Do you think he was Krishna conscious? <laughs> Why do you? <coughs> so if we have some control over our external circumstances, then of course you should try to make them favorable. It's not that you don't, you know, you should choose to go to a temple rather than a nightclub. But don't think that just by walking into a temple you're going to be Krishna conscious. You have to make an effort. 
Therefore, let's go a little bit ahead here. So 12th chapter, Krishna says, Fix your mind upon me, the supreme personality of Godhead, and engage all your intelligence in me. Thus you live in me always without a doubt. Then the next one he says, If you cannot fix your mind upon me without deviation, follow the regulated principles of bhakti yoga. In this way, develop a desire to attain me. Now if you look at the text, this is 12.9. He says, Abhyasya yoga. <laughs> Abhyasya, what does Abhyasya mean? Practice, practice yoga. And he says, Mam ichaptam. Icha means what? Desire. Desire. So Krishna's saying, do, if you can't just think of me, if you can't just be conscious of me. Okay, be Krishna conscious. Well, I I can't. You might say, "I, I can't. I'm conscious of so many things. What I'm conscious of is, oh, um, I really need a new pair of shoes. Or I have to do laundry tonight, or oh, I'm hungry, I don't have enough money, this person insulted me this morning, I have so many things to get done, and I only have a half an hour, and I'm late, and that's what I'm conscious of. <coughs> I'm not conscious of Krishna. She so says, all right, do practice yoga. <coughs> now this, this abhyas yoga is a really interesting concept. Abhyas yoga, yoga means what? To connect. And particularly to connect with love. Now, how do you practice connecting with someone with love? Wife and husband. Hmm? Wife and husband. Wife and husband. gives this example that in the traditional Indian society, which you don't see much anymore, that the very young boy and girl, they'd be betrothed, they'd be engaged, but they were too young to live together. And the parents would bring them together and say, come on, little Prita, here's, here's going to be your future husband. Give him a sweet ball. Give him a sweet ball. And they're practicing. <coughs> they're practicing. <coughs> How do you practice love? By doing loving things. By doing loving things. By looking at what people who already have love do and by imitating So therefore, practice yoga says, okay, do these external things. I mean, why did you give me flowers? Why didn't you give me a necklace of motorcycle parts? Why flowers? So flowers is a traditional way of expressing affection and respect all over the world. Right? But you could give it to me disrespectfully also, or indifferently. Just the fact that you're giving me flowers doesn't mean that you have respect or affection for me. But you're more likely to develop respect and affection for me by giving me flowers than by giving me motorcycle parts. So you're more likely to develop love for Krishna by acting in certain external ways. By cooking for Krishna, by offering your food for Krishna, by saying Krishna's names, by wearing tilak. Those are ways that someone who already has love for Krishna expresses it. So if we follow that, it will also develop love for Krishna. So giving someone a flower is a way of expressing existing love, and it's a way to develop love. So Abhyas Yoga is like that. 
We do the externals that someone who already has love does spontaneously. And what is the purpose of doing those externals? To develop itcha, to develop a desire. <coughs> so how will we become Krishna conscious? The simple answer is, as Prabhupada says, he says it's simply by desiring to do so. And you read that and you go, huh. He says, one gets out of material illusion simply by desiring to do so. And how do you get that desire? By going through the process. But don't think the process alone just externally is going to do it. Don't put all your attention just on, let me get all the externals right. The externals has a purpose. Does that make sense? (laughs) My purpose isn't just let me get the garland right. My focus is on getting the garland right because I want to please Krishna. I want to develop a desire to be conscious of Krishna. Is that better? Is that clearer? Okay. I should probably... How much more time do I have, Parvati? Or am I way over? Hard to be Well, I don't really want to go that long. So we can say the class is officially over, so if anybody wants to leave, I won't be offended. But I'll say another few minutes and answer questions if anyone has further questions. Yes, I'm appreciating. How many things that desires and desires are there, and everybody gets to sign up like, but desires may be very wrong, material desires. So how, he's asking how to change the desires, because the desires are a sign of life. So the main thing is, it's all right, the main thing is by hearing. So why do the people in Trinidad want to go to New York? They hear about it. You know, why do the slum people here dream about going to America? They see the television shows and they think America's actually like that. Thank God it isn't. But, you know, they're hearing about it. So by hearing about Krishna, and we think of don't just hear officially. Okay, I'm supposed to send my time hearing about Krishna. Okay, no, 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 hearing about Krishna. Okay, done, done. It might be. But really meditating on it. So hearing about glorifying Krishna, hearing the good qualities of Krishna. And also, you know, it's really nice. You know, Prabhupada's given us such a beautiful system. Basically, all we have to do is think about what we're doing all day long. So that's all we have to do. We have to take what we're already doing. If we're following Srila Prabhupada's program, take what we're already doing and think about what we're doing. Just do it consciously. And you become, you'll change your desire immediately. I mean, it, it, it will. It, you can't help it if you think about that. You know, if you're just like, hey, mom, you know, if you're just going through things externally, that will take a long time. So that that may be discouraging to some of us. We may think, oh, you know, how am I going to do that? Well, do it at least a minute a day. You know, start with a minute a day. That would be good for some of us. That would be really good progress. And, and celebrate that minute. When you go to bed at night, okay, how many minutes was I really conscious of what I was doing today? How many minutes did I really meditate in Krishna? Oh, three minutes at least during Japa today. Three minutes. Or there was one minute in the kirtan. Or there was 30 seconds when I saw the deities and I went, wow, Krishna is really beautiful. Whoa. Or, you know, there was one minute when I was doing my service that I thought, oh, Krishna, 
I know here's my heart, and I know you're watching what I'm doing. I hope you're smiling. And then I forgot again and just got, but it was, it was that one minute. So, you know, you add them up at the end of the day. Maybe you had six minutes when you were thinking of Krishna. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Don't worry about the other 23 hours and, you know, celebrate the six minutes. And, you know, you have children. You remember when they were learning how to walk? Right? We got your grandchildren, right? So they're learning how to walk. So when they just first time stand up, so that your children will call you, guess what, Dad? You know? They stood up. He stood up for one second. And then they put it on Facebook and email everybody, right? <laughs> Little Jyoti stood up for one minute. And then what did she do? She fell down again. A little Jyoti didn't get discouraged because she was excited. I stood up for one minute. And when the baby takes one step, the baby gets so excited. It's so excited. That they took one step, immediately they fall down. Two steps, they get so excited. (coughs) I've never seen a depressed baby about all the times that they fall down. You know, I haven't seen it. Some little babies do. They just get excited that they're taking one step. So that's also what Krishna wants to see in us. No, to whatever extent that we are Krishna conscious, celebrate that. And gradually keep trying to increase. Little more, little more, little more. Maybe today I heard one mantra. All right, maybe tomorrow I can hear two mantras. Very good. Maybe today I actually remembered what I read in Krishna book for at least 10 minutes after I closed the book. (laughs) That's very good. Maybe tomorrow I can remember it two hours later, at least once. Try for that. And Krishna will be very happy. It should be very, very happy. Said so we take one step towards Krishna, he takes ten steps towards you. So keep a little more, a little more, but habit is the goal. That's how we should assess ourselves. Not just, obviously we also, okay, did I chant my 16 rounds today? Did I chant my three Gayatris? Did I take care of my services nicely? But how much was I actually Krishna conscious? Celebrate it and try to increase and increase and increase and increase. You know what's really nice? So, the demigods in, in, uh, in Krishna's and Devaki's womb, and Brahma also says this in his, he also refers to it in, in his prayers to Krishna in chapter 14. He says, the whole material world is like an ocean. You know, we look at our desires and we go, oh my God. I mean, even if you just go to the ocean in Bombay, it was just in Bombay, in Mumbai. It looks really big. You know, it's not really so big, but if you go to the Pacific, anybody ever been to the Pacific Ocean? So I spent some time in Hawaii. You know, it's a big ocean. 
So our material desires are like that. It looks like that. We look at all of our faults, all of our offenses, all of our material desires, and it's just hopeless. It's completely hopeless. You know, every morning I think, okay, I'm not going to offend any devotee today. It never works. I always offend at least three or four people a day. It just, it just doesn't work. Today I'm never going to get, okay, today I'm not going to get irritated with anybody. I'm just going to be peaceful and happy and all certain. It just never works. It's impossible. It's this huge ocean. So the demigods say, you know, you're looking at this huge ocean of the material world. But on this side, there's a what? A boat. What's the boat? Well, yes, but in this context, that's also true, but that's a different analogy. Krishna's lotus feet, which can be also Harina. So Krishna's lotus feet. But they say it's very surprising. What's surprising about this boat? Especially very surprising. All the great devotees have crossed the ocean of material life in this boat. But what's very peculiar, something really strange about this boat, it's still on this side. You know, if you cross the boat, the ocean in a boat, the boat goes with you. But how come the boat's here? So what is the answer? The ocean becomes very small. Now, do you have to get in the boat? <coughs> For the ocean to become small, do you have to get in the boat? Yes. No. No. It says as soon as you approach the boat, you don't have to get in the boat. You don't have to get in the boat. You don't have to go that far. As soon as you approach the boat, the ocean becomes this small, and you walk over without even noticing. You don't even notice that you walk over. So we're afraid to approach the boat because we think it's, it's I can't do it. It's too hard. I have so many problems. I have so many desires. I have so many this. It'll be too hard. I won't be able to do it. It'll probably really hurt. It'll probably be really painful and awful, and there'll be fires of ordeal, and oh my God, what will I go through? And you know, I'll, I'll pretend to approach the boat, but I don't actually do it. I'll just go through some motions. As soon as one approaches the boat, there's no more ocean. It's gone. It's gone. And you go to the other side without even knowing how you got there. There you are on the other side. So just approach the boat. Instead of worrying about how difficult it is, just do it. Just do whatever you can, like a little child. That's what we are. We're little helpless babies. Just do whatever you can. And, and be happy for whatever, whatever reciprocation Krishna gives you. But remember that that's the purpose, to be conscious. And then at a certain point, the desires build up enough that you're walking, like the child's one day they're walking. Prabhupada says piling. Yeah. At a certain point, then you're just walking. Just there. And the the so-called obstacles and all of the material desires and all that just automatically fall away. One doesn't need to focus on them, they're just gone. 
They were never really part of us in the first place. There's nothing external. They're not, they're not nothing to do with us. There's something false. Okay, I think I should have like two more minutes. Did you have something you wanted to say? Did you have something? I was going to say something about the person who was in the Soviet prison. And he passed on. He passed on. Yes. Yes. He left the body. Yes, the body in the Soviet prison. Yes, he died. Throughout our lecture, we didn't mention anything about our determination. 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 Uh -huh. But you know, it's not exactly willpower. It's not exactly willpower. It's a little different. Because we're really not becoming purified by the kind of determination a person has to make a million dollars or to discover a light bulb, but it's not exactly like that. That's the, in the other kinds of yoga, your progress is based on your willpower. In our process, our pro progress is based on mercy. With, with Krishna being convinced by our affection, I was just uh, reading this in Chaitanya Charitamrita, how, I think it was Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, asking why Ishvara Puri had, he had a servant from the Sudra caste. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, no, it's all based on affection. So our progress is not exactly willpower and determination the way we generally think about it. The will belongs to Krishna anyway. But, it, but it's still not exactly like that. It's not exactly like that. It's something a little different. It has to do with affection. Willpower is useful if you want to be a mystic yogi. Then it's very useful. If you want to be a jnana, you really need a lot of that kind of willpower. I mean, we do have to have austerity. We have our four regulated principles. But it's mostly about developing an attachment and affection for Krishna. And our determination comes much more from our affection for Krishna than from willpower exactly. I mean, even, the, even the pigs have some affection for their piglets. And out of affection for the little piglets, they protect them and they serve them. Even such an animal like a pig. Right? You've seen that? <coughs> or, or you were telling me how um, this little baby monkey took her shoe and she grabbed her shoe back from the baby monkey and the mother monkey immediately came and hit her. <laughs> out of affection. So when, when you really, when you care about somebody, you're willing to go to any lengths to please that person. 
you know, there's a lot of songs about that. I mean, I remember when I was a teenager, there were songs on the radio like, there's, there's no mountain too high, no river too wide to keep me from getting to you, babe. Of course, that's not true in the world. In, in worldly love, there is, will be a mountain too high and a river too wide, and you'll give up on a more attractive person or whatever. But that's the kind of determination we're looking for. So the main thing we're interested in, Naya Shaitamanaparta, we're mostly interested in getting a shakti or attachment to Krishna. That will give us determination. Just ordinary willpower may come from the mode of passion. It's not really that useful. And it can be deceptive. It can be deceptive. There are people who, materially speaking, um, are very fixed in whatever they do. Like, materially speaking, there are certain people who can go to the same job every day at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they're always on time. They have a perfect attendance record. They always do as they're supposed to do. You understand? There are people like that. So that doesn't necessarily mean that you're more Krishna conscious. Just if someone says, okay, I can complete my job every day, I can do this, I can do this. I was referring to uh, the determination uh, concept of uh, um, connection with Krishna, having his mercy, to determine to have his mercy, determined to serve, determined to. Yes, one should, but that should come from affection. Prabhupada said the residents of Vrindavana, they only just want to see Krishna smile. Determined to see Krishna smile. There, there's some perversion of that in this world. I was at the, the school, one of the volunteers had his birthday today. So the, some of the students bought him a, a cake from the bakery here. Why? Just to make him happy. They went to a lot of trouble just to make him happy. So that determination we should have. We should be, you know, let me be determined that somehow or other that Srila Prabhupada will smile at me today, that Krishna will smile at me, that I'll do something, even if it's only for 30 seconds, I do something today to make Krishna smile. That we should be determined. We should definitely have to have a lot of determination, but be careful that it's based on affection, not just on the motor Yes? In that, uh, What happens is, in answering our questions, somehow you get there. No matter how you reason it, no matter what happened, somehow you stay. You don't know why you're here. You don't know what, what you're doing, except you're doing it. See? She can call it affection, another person will say, I was so determined I wouldn't quit. However, being determined that you're not going to quit may not get you in that state of understanding and consciousness. All of a sudden, you are thinking like the advanced devotees think. How did that happen? Everything in the beginning was very physical. You were almost chewing the book of us. It was exoteric. It was left, right, about face. All of a sudden, things change. How did that happen? You couldn't do it. You had that foot 
step in. It actually steps into you. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. I'll go to school for a moment. Thank you. Thank you.